on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and my guest today is award-winning editor Patrick J. Don Vito, and we're going to talk about his Golden Globe-winning film, The Green Book. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks, Jan, so much. It's nice to have you here, and you were just nominated for an Ace Editing Award. How did that feel? I know. That's very exciting. I was so uh, excited to be nominated by other editors. That's really what means the most to me is that other editors saw the work and thought it was worth worthy. What you know? What a great honor! An incredible great honor when your peers uh, honor the work that you are doing and uh, yes. recognize it. So that's absolutely wonderful. So let's. Ta- I love the Green Book. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. I just uh, had an interview with um, Dave Carger, who is uh, a TC Turner Classic Movies host, but award-winning uh, entertainment journalist. And we we're just talking about Oscars, who's going to be nominated, who's going to win, and all of that. We do this kind of our annual show and we talked about the green book and uh and i gave all my reasons why i love this movie uh because i said you know it's the kind of movie that had everything in it it was the opening film for the napa film festival and i saw it there and it had everything it had humor it, it has a, a message it's a great mm-hmm. buddy picture but you know warmth and heart and all of those things so that are so uh you want when you go to see a movie and as i said when you walk out of a movie you want to feel good and uh, this movie makes you feel good. So what were some of the challenges you had editing this movie? Well, I think the the, cha- the biggest challenge was probably the the balance of the comedy and the drama. Just getting that right. Because um, there were a lot of options as far as uh, jokes and, and bits that were in the body of the movie. And so it really was about finding the right ones that didn't seem like they were jokes that were came out of the the reality of the scene um and just the balance going back and forth between them that's really the toughest part and the tonally making that tone match all the way across because i've worked on movies where i've had to come in and fix and it, it seemed like the tone shifts in the middle of the movie and then it shifts back and to be able to do that it's very very difficult it's it's better if you can keep the tone kind of the same all the way through and so in this movie keeping the tone what what exactly did you have to do in the editing room to make sure that the tone stayed consistent? It was a lot of uh, basically looking at the jokes and deciding uh, if, if it was the right time for a joke or maybe we should hold off and, and let things sink in. For instance, um, uh, there's a scene where he's outside, Tony Lip, playing craps, and he, then he gets uh, kind of chastised by Dr. Shirley, and he tells him at the end of that scene, uh, you were, you had to be, you could, you could, uh, they have to be outside. You didn't. Uh, and then they leave. And there was kind of a serious ending. We went right from that to a scene that, uh, has a joke, really. It's, it's him writing the letter saying, Dear Dolores, how are you? I am fine. So those butted together. It was almost too early for a joke. So what I did is I put a, a, shot of the um, them driving and we've created a map for that as well and they drive to the hotel and then you have that scene it gives you a moment to sit and go over your feelings about what just happened and then when that when that letter writing hits you laugh harder because you've had a minute to, to let that all set in mm-hmm 
Yes, yeah, that's interesting. So, is this? How do you? I mean, as an editor, how do you? Is it just instinctive uh, when you're trying to do this, or are you are you working very closely with the director Peter Farrelly on on that and what the beats are? And because they say you know a movie can succeed or fail based on the editing. I mean, it's like you you've got the power of making this movie um, be great or not in the editing room. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you have that much power when you're in there? Uh, it's initially when I'm putting it together. It's uh, at least with Pete. With different directors, it's always different. Uh, with Pete, I he lets me have free reign, so I get to do it however I want to do it, and he'll be shooting. And on the weekends, he'll come in and give me notes, and I'll do the notes, and I'll kind of shape it the way he's thinking about. But then I always do alternates when I'm cutting, so I always have alternate versions sitting there, things that I think, oh, that might work, that might work, and I kind of have them chambered, but I don't necessarily bring them up right away. Um, I don't want to. Uh, overwhelm the director while they're shooting so i just kind of hold them off and then uh it's it's a back and forth i think initially i have a lot more input and then when we're done shooting and we're in the cutting room pete's in there every day and we're we're working through the movie and we're and we're um collaborating on it so basically he has i try to i try to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish but sometimes it's in a way that maybe he wasn't thinking of or maybe there's a version i can i can do that would make uh sense that he never thought of and so that's kind of it's kind of the back and forth of editing so while the movie is shooting are you editing along with it or do you wait until it's entirely shot and then go edit the film yes i start day one and start cutting scenes so that by the time they're done shooting uh i can have uh after a few more days i can have a complete version of the movie and i can watch it through and make a few more notes before we sit down with the director and and go over it so there's a, a chance for me to uh basically uh get through it and it's hard when you're doing scene by scene out of order until you see the whole thing as a whole um it, it really it's it's a different sort of thing um the the assembly cut generally is a crazy cut. I mean, it's like most directors hate it. I know Pete says, you know, says normally he throws up when he sees the assembly of a movie. <laughs> and the good thing is he didn't throw up when he saw my assembly. I actually said this is the best, you know, assembly I've seen. It just, it, it flows and it's 80% of the way there. So that was really great. Wow. Um, that is great. So that was really, uh, we had a great starting point. And then from there, it was just honing the performances and the story and the, and the love, the jokes basically and how those worked in. Cause they were writing along the way too. They were, they were writing, the, the writers were there on the set and they would add things, um, on the, on the shoot day. Uh, and so there was, it was constantly kind of evolving the script, even as it, as they were shooting. And does that make your job more difficult? Um, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no, because the more choices I have, better off we're going to be because i can if something isn't working i can change it you know if there's a joke if there's a joke that doesn't work and you've got an alternate two you can replace it or you know completely get rid of it delete it um there was plenty of those throughout the movie that that aren't there just little things little little bits but there's also stuff that the actors added that was great i mean mahershal added a, a line that was uh, one of the best lines in the movie, I think. It really helped the end of the scene. Which was that? Uh, Do you remember? Which was, yeah, they were in the hotel, um, and they were sitting talking about how he learned to play piano from his mother. And uh, so they um, had this... Uh, the whole sequence, at the end, he says, but, you know, what you do is, is great, you know. Um, I, I don't think you should be doing this classical stuff. What you do is, is great. And he, he says, thank you, Tony. But... No one can play Chopin, not like I can. That line was Mahershala. Because ah. in the script, you just said, thank you. And that's okay. It's not a great ending for a scene. 
and especially since the character, all he wanted to do was play classical music. So he had to, um, he thought he had to have this line that would make it more important. And he was right. He was totally right. And and so sometimes, uh, and maybe, you, I don't know if you can answer this or not, uh, when mm-hmm. an actor decides to add a line, do they, is it usually generally something that they discuss ahead of time with the director, or sometimes it just comes out in the scene without them even thinking about that they're going to add the line? Do you know in that case whether that was something... In that case, yeah. In that case, it was added early. He, he did actually go to him ahead of time and say, you know, I think I, we need to ch- end, end the scene differently. Other times, there, there are scenes when... The actors just in the flow of it, and just they just feel like something's coming out, and they just let it go because they're in character, they're in the flow, and we always know we can, and they know if it doesn't work, we can cut it out, we can right. work around it. So, and then most directors will say at least say, "Here's a take to go ahead and try try something you want to try," you know, uh, and that's I know people do that too. So if you you know, we're getting we make sure to get the script, and then at a certain point, they'll tell the actors, "Is there something you want to try here? Let's try it," you know. And then we have that option as well. That you can do. That's great. Now, I, I, I met uh, the screenwriter and producer Nick Vellalonga. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Vellalonga yes. at the Napa Film Festival. And I miss, met Chris Bowers also. And Chris is so great, yeah. Yeah, he's wonderful. And we had a nice discussion um, about, because obviously uh, you, you, when you're watching the movie, you're going... Is Masharla Ali, is he able to really play the piano that well? I mean, because it's pretty amazing. And uh, so Chris let me in on the secret. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about it, but uh, he did work with uh, Mashallah Ali, I guess he, he said for months and months. Uh, so he could, and, and, and many of the scenes, it is, it is Mashallah playing, but when it got to the more difficult scenes, so talk about that because you had to do the editing on that. Yeah, it's basically he did. He wanted to be able to sit down and have the the uh, the stance, the seat, the, uh, the sitting of a piano player. Mm-hmm. So it, it would it would look real, and he wanted to have the hand motions, everything there. So that's really what he was studying. He wasn't necessarily studying, you know, teach me piano, how to play piano in three months. Um, so he learned all that, and he was really uh, into it. And then when it came to the shooting, we'd shoot them both. So we'd shoot. Chris Bowers playing the piece, and we'd shoot Mahershala playing the piece, and then we'd combine them in the effects, basically. And uh, In fact, one of the scenes is really, is really funny. Uh, I think it's, in, it's in the middle in a montage. It's a side angle of him playing the piano, and you see the audience in the background. It's actually um, uh, Mahershala's arms are inside the jacket, and Chris has put his arms into the sleeves of the jacket, and he's playing blind behind him. What? <laughs> so it, looks like, it looks like Mahershala's <laughs> arms, but it's Chris's arms coming in playing. And there's a really funny take. I wish I, you know, kept it. It was a really funny take where he, he finishes, and at the end, Mahershala throws his hands up in in his celebration. So there's, now there's four arms in the scene. It's really, really funny. <laughs> It was pretty great. <laughs> you didn't save that. You didn't. You, you didn't. No. Oh, you didn't put. You should have kept hopefully, that on a bloopers. On a bloopers. Hopefully, it'll reel. be on the. Yeah, it'll be on the DVD. Hopefully, yeah. We'll see. A bloopers reel. That would be great. <laughs> so, how difficult was that? Because you had to edit. You know, Chris's uh, Chris playing the piano. Um, how, how was how difficult was that doing that? Uh, it was. Uh, you know, I started. What I would do is I basically cut Chris's stuff. So I would. Uh, um, Put all of the piano playing together with Chris playing it, and then I go back and find the Mahershala pieces, and then um, then I would talk to the visual effects company. We'd have meetings and we discuss how we're going to do this, 
Um, and so that's how it was kind of built. It was the base was always starting with Chris because Chris was the, the pro player, and that's it's his hands in almost everything. That's that's really the truth of it is. So so basically, it's it's getting Mahershala's you know face on head on his body is basically the trick. And is that difficult to do? Yes, <laughs> it is. But thankfully, I didn't have to actually do that work. That's what the Visual Effects Company did, but they did a really amazing job. Pixel Magic. Okay. Oh, Pixel Magic. There you go. Yes, they Perfect. did their magic. Yeah, they did. They did. They really did. So what else have you worked with? you worked with Peter Farrelly before? Yeah, we worked on Movie 43. Um, I had come on to do that uh, with uh, um, another director. Um, it was basically... Uh, a bunch of shorts all put into one movie and so i was hired by steve brill to to work on his short and then i stayed on and worked on everybody's shorts and then uh pete decided to reshoot an interstitial and i cut that and so we got to know each other a little bit and then a couple years later we did a pilot for a tv series called cuckoo that never got picked up and then there was this and this was like one of those things that just came i i was sent the script and i'm like i i called over said hey, do you have an editor yet? I know you normally use this one person, but are they available? If they aren't, can you throw my my name into the hat? And they did, and luckily I got the job. That's great. That's great. I love the script when I read it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love I love the movie. So, you know, the script, obviously, it's not a movie without the script. And, uh, and it's a, just a great, great story. But uh, so do you develop a, a, a shorthand once you work with a director? Do you have like – you've worked with a lot of great directors. You've worked with John Avnet, Jay Roach, mm-hmm. Judd Apatow, Donald Petrie, and the list goes on. Um, it, when you work with them multiple times, do you develop a shorthand and do you have a shorthand yeah. now with Peter uh, Farrelly? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you just uh, – it, it's, it's unspoken – words between us so like if he says something i know what he means and sometimes i know it before he says it i'll go i, I know which, i know you're going to react to this i'll i'll do something and I'll, I'll show it and I, in my mind i'm thinking you know what i should have done it this way now he's going to react to this and he does so i i kind of gotten to know his um his style which is this for this movie is a totally different style of uh you know of comedy but i could see back when i was working on cuckoo that um the the chops he had for drama and i even told my wife after work one day when i was working on that pilot i said you know i'd really like to see pete do a drama i think he'd be amazing and uh, and this came up and i was like yeah great yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but if you are just tuning in and you are listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies, and my guest today is award-winning editor Patrick J. Don Vito, and we're talking about the Golden Globe-winning film, The Green Book, and uh, Peter Patrick was just nominated for an Ace Editing Award, so it's very, very exciting, and I'm sure when the Oscar nominations come out, by, this show is going to air after that, I'm sure The Green Book will be nominated, and certainly uh, Nick and Peter, Peter wrote the, also co-wrote the script too. Is that correct on this film? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, with Nick, and I'm sure that both of them will be nominated for best screenwriting. So, t- tell us a little bit about that. I mean, because everybody was a little surprised. Um, uh, I think that Peter was Peter Farrelly was attached to this movie, and mm-hmm. and certainly the way that this movie turned out is, you know, it's it's it, it's got humor in it and it's got drama in it it's got everything in it i mean it makes you cry mm-hmm. it makes you you know that's when you go to the movies you want to feel something i say this a lot you know you just want to mm-hmm. go and go 
eh, that was okay, you know, and you walk out of the yeah. theater, or you fall asleep watching the movie, um, <laughs> which can happen too. So, um, with this one, it was a little bit di- uh, different with seeing that Peter Farrelly was involved. So, uh, do you know a little bit how he got attached to yeah. this? It's actually a really interesting story. He, uh, the other writer, uh, Brian Hayes Curry, was a friend of his, and he had been in a bunch of his movies uh, in small little roles. And so he ran into him and said, hey, what are you up to? And he said, oh, you know, I, I'm writing this, or I'm going to start writing the script. Uh, and he told him the story, and Pete goes, that's a home run. Uh, let me know when you're done writing it. And so a few months later, he called him and said, so you're done with that script yet? I want to read it. He goes, what script? I said, the one about the piano player and the bouncer. And he goes, we haven't even started yet. And he says, call Nick, and I'll, I want to write it with you. We'll start Monday. Wow. And so he called Nick, and Nick had to meet him and, you know, make sure that Pete was the right guy because he wanted his dad's story. So he met with him, and they liked each other, and then they started writing scripts. Wow. I, I also, like, after the... Um after after the film premiered, they had the you know Q and A afterwards, and uh, Nick telling the story. But more importantly, that the uh, Don Shirley did not want him to write this story while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know why? I mean, nobody followed up with the the why after that. I, I'm not quite sure. He never really said why. Now you could assume from the movie there's one big reason, yeah, which I don't know if I should give a spoiler alert away, but of something that happens uh, in the movie that maybe he didn't want people knowing about um, mm-hmm. because right. it might affect right. his career. Uh, maybe it was about his family. I don't know because I, from what I've heard is his heirs were not the family. His heirs were his friends. So when he died, everything went to his friends. Oh. Uh, so, so I don't know if there was stuff about the family he didn't want uh, out there. I don't really know, but, um, but there, there could be any number of reasons, but uh, um I don't know. I guess we'll never know, really. Yeah, I guess we won't know. For but, sure. Yeah, but, well, Nick Bobby knows uh, maybe why they he did, but maybe he doesn't even want to say, too. What, what, is yeah. your, what is your editing style, Patrick, when you're working on a film? Um, do you keep the storyboard up? Do you have, like, lots of cards all over the place to keep it all in, together? Do you work with the sound designer? So how does, what's your style of editing? It, it really depends on the movie I'm working on. It kind of shifts a little bit with that, but I always have cards up so I can see the scenes based on uh, what reel they're in and, and their position. And I can you know, physically look at them and go like, oh, I could move this scene over there. I could switch these around. Um, this movie, there was not a, a ton of movement around for scenes because it's so linear. So it's hard to, it's hard to reorder stuff. But, uh, but I'll work differently. Um, I like playing music while I work too. So this was really easy because this is set in the sixties. So you want to just play sixties music and get you in the mood of like what you're doing. But also the music supervisors gave me a lot of great music. I was going to ask you, did they give you Don Shirley's recordings to listen to as you were doing this? I had Don Shirley's recordings. We didn't use them in the movie because quality wise, it would have sounded like an old recording. So we, Mm. uh, Chris Bowers re-recorded everything and he played everything for the movie. And then, um, all these songs. I mean, we did, we had a very limited music budget, but they found a you know, hundred songs and gave them to me as options that they could get for cheap. That were great '60s songs. And so while I was cutting, I would decide and place the songs. And um, the style for that is I'd usually start them full volume, and then as you popped into the car, it would squish down to like a speaker as if it were coming out the car speaker. And I'd say about 80% of the songs that I placed are exactly where I placed them in the movie, and they never changed. Oh, wow. 
Um, so I, I had a lot of influence with music, but it was it was those guys that gave me this great music that you know uh, that made allowed me to do that. I had I had a lot of options and a lot of great stuff, and uh, so it it was a joy to work on with music. I love doing that because I play piano myself and. Music's really important to me. Mm, yeah, yeah, I get, I definitely, and particularly in this movie, you know, how much of the sound editing uh, did you get involved with, or don't you? Do you work with it? You know, you work with the sound editor, yeah. uh, you, or did you? Obviously, you're working together, but how how is yeah. that collaboration? Yeah, we usually have uh, like Andrew DeCristofaro was our sound supervisor, so she he came over and his crew came over, and we just sat and watched the movie and kind of told him what things we kind of are looking for uh sound wise and then he made notes and tried things and then we'd kind of say yay or nay to them and then he'd try some things that maybe we weren't thinking about um you know we tried some you know when he's outside the car and he's looking at uh the sharecroppers out in the fields and it's kind of like all the sound kind of comes down a bit it's really played music heavy and it's 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 it, there's still sound there but it's just light and so it feels like you know you're more in his head than than you would be if you were playing all the natural sounds that were happening around. Mm. Um, so it's stuff like that that help emotionally connect you with certain scenes. And so they, we would work on that, and then we'd get to the mixing stage, and then we'd refine all that stuff in the mixing stage. How long did it take you to edit this movie? Uh, let's see, I started after Thanksgiving, um, and uh, it was... Uh, we came back in February from New Orleans, and by, I'd say by a- April, I had um, a, the, uh, we weren't even, we were still in the direct about halfway through the director's cut. We started screening it, so we started during the director's cut screening it. Um, but by the time we were done, it was the end of July, so it was about you know, seven eight months total. But uh, but we finished early, and we just started screening the movie because the, the more you can get it in front of people. The, the earlier the better because it gives you an idea um, what's working and not not even by comments just by the feeling in the room if you're sitting in a room and you are watching a movie you can tell when people are uninterested you mm-hmm. can feel it mm-hmm. and so it really helps you go you know what we should tighten up that scene that's they're get they're, we're losing them right there and so that really helps you get to this tighter version and we're still two hours and ten minutes with credits so we're not a short movie no. but uh but I think it doesn't feel like two hours and ten minutes when you're sitting no, watching it. No, it does not. It does not. Some movies you're like looking at your watch. Okay, when is this mm-hmm. going to be over? But not this movie. Not at all. It didn't feel like that at all. When do you know, this is my last question, when do you know mm-hmm. that you finally have the perfect cut on this on the movie? Well, that's tough. Wow. It's 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 hard. You never really, it's, it's always kind of evolving. You know, I know that. If there wasn't an end date, I think that people would recut movies into infinity. You know, <laughs> if there were, luckily there's an end date usually, and you got to finish by this time. But this was really, you know, we got to it pretty early, and we were like feeling really good about it. And then we, when I knew we were on the right track, we went to uh, we went to screen in Long Beach, and uh, you know, they do all the, the screenings with where they score the movie and everything, um, and, and we scored a hundred. And wow. so I thought, I think we're. I think we're on the right track for this. <laughs> I think you were. I think you were. So that when, when that happened, it kind of like solidified all our thoughts, and then we continued. We screened again, and we tightened a little bit, and then we locked. So it was pretty quick there, right at the end. Right. So the, when the director's cut was done, it was it was all pretty fast. After it that. was great, great. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show. It's fascinating. Thank you. It was I love talking pleasure. to you. Yes. 
Thank you, Jan. You're welcome. Go to The Jan Price Show on Facebook to learn more about upcoming shows. And while you're there, like my page to listen to The Price Movie Minute, movie reviews, and to listen to archived shows that you may have missed, go to thejampriceshow.com. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. The Yozio Theater in downtown Monterey is now open every day, showing independent and foreign films. The Yozio Theater has new concession offerings, including beer, wine, hard cider, and their homemade lush slush. You can now schedule private event screenings for community charity events, birthdays, anniversaries, or just a fun gathering of friends. For more information, visit the Ozio Theater online at oziotheater.com. <laughs> 